0: In 2007, the Buffalo Bills were playing the Washington Redskins at the time before they changed their name, and this game, two football teams playing, for those of you who didn't know those were football teams, they were going up against each other, and it was coming down to the wire, and uh, the Washington Redskins were up 16-14, to 14, so had a two-point lead, and the Buffalo Bills were driving down the field. They finally got to a place where there was not much time left on the clock, and they made it to the point in the field where they had a 51-yard field goal opportunity. So they get to the right marker, don't have enough time to, like, get closer yardage, and so they say, okay, we're going to try this 51-yard field goal, which those of you if you don't know, it's a pretty far distance, and it's, like, oh, risky whether they are going to make it or not. And if you miss it, you lose the game, you make it, you win the game. So they line all up, Buffalo Bills get ready to, to kick this field goal, and the coach of the Washington Redskins calls a timeout. Um, For those not familiar with football, the reason why they do that is to what they say, ice the kicker. So the person who's about to, the pressure's all on them. You're either going to win or lose the game is on this person who's going to try to kick the ball through the upright. It's to give them some extra time to just, hey, just think it over a little bit. Hey, just think some more. Like, all right, you really, to overthink it and to miss it. And so they call the timeout, and re- literally right as they, like, call the timeout, he kicks it, and he, like, makes it through, but they didn't ca- it doesn't count because, like, they called the timeout before. So then they go up to line again, and he gets ready to kick the field goal, and before he kicks the field goal, the Washington coach calls another timeout. So the coach calls the timeout, but what he didn't know, which is part of the rules of football in this situation, you're not allowed to call back-to-back timeouts, It's actually against the rules to call timeouts back-to-back, especially in situations like this, to ice the kicker. And that breaking of that rule actually causes a 15-yard penalty. So it goes from being a 51-yard field goal, which is like uh, risky, to now it's only a 36-yard field goal. And as you'd expect, um, Buffalo Bills line up, kick the field, go right through the upright, and they win the game. All because this coach didn't know... Or forgot the rule about not calling back to back timeouts. See, it's an important thing and it's a good thing to know the rules. It's especially important in the game of football to to know the rules. In most situations, it's a good thing to know the rules, and especially when it comes to um, this thing called life. It's important to know the rules that God has set up for us and what He expects of us, to know God's expectations. What are His rules for us? And in James chapter 2, this section that we're gonna get to talks about God's rules. And specifically, when it sums up God's rules, it uses this term called the law or the royal law, as you see the title of this sermon. The royal law, those are God's rules, his expectations for us. And it'd be good for us to know what his expectations are because he's the one who's in charge. He's the one who created us. He's the one who set up this entire system called earth and how we're supposed to live on it and how we're supposed to act and function. And it'd be right for us to know what he expects of us, his rules, how he wants us to act, because guess what? We're gonna be accountable to him one day. So let's look at James chapter two. If you're not there, open up to it now. James two, verses eight through 13, and understand and know what God's expectations and what his law is. James two, verse eight, it says this says, if you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. Say, if you really fulfill the the law, which this royal law, why it's saying it's royal is because it's supreme. It's the rules above all other rules. It's like, okay, maybe different nations set up, okay, this is how we're going to function. This is how you're going to function. Well, guess what? God's law, it's supreme. It's the authority. It's above all else. And if you really say, yeah, I fulfill the royal law, which he summarizes it, summarizes it as this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's saying, you're doing a good thing. But verse nine, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors, transgressors, saying, hey, you love your neighbor as yourself, which is the way that he summarizes the Old Testament law. Good job. But if you're doing this thing called partiality, which we looked at last week, this thing called Partiality or favoritism, which we said in verses one through seven, which James two one to seven talks about. Hey, you're not doing the right thing. You're not loving your neighbor as yourself. And guess what? If you're not loving your neighbor as yourself, you know what? You're breaking the law, breaking God's commands, and because of that, you're convicted by the law. You're guilty. You're you deserving and. To, rightly to be called a transgressor, which the term for transgressor means sinner or violator or lawbreaker. Like you are a rule breaker if you are showing partiality. You are breaking God's law. Verse 10 says, for whoever keeps the whole law. Say, so, hey, you might say, I keep the entire law. I keep all of God's rules. But if you fail in one point, you have become guilty of all of it. So yeah, I keep all of God's rules, but I show partiality. Guess what? you're guilty of breaking God's law because God's rules aren't just a bunch of individual sets of commands. It's not like a, um, a set of bowling pins where there's like 10 pins and it's like, okay, I only knocked down like three of them. I kept the other seven. Oh, pretty good. It's like, no, God's law and his rules are, are one unit together. It's like a, a windshield of a car. If you get a crack in the windshield, guess what? You got to replace the entire windshield because it's one unit together. So too, God's law, God's rules is one unit. You break one of them, you've broken his law. You're guilty of it all. Verse 11, for he who said, do not commit adultery, that's part of one, God, one of God's rules, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do, mur- do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. He's responding to those people who say, oh, like, I'm okay, I'm not really a rule breaker because, um, Yeah, okay, maybe I've murdered, but I haven't committed adultery. It's like, really? You're gonna say you're not a rule breaker because you've only kept one, not the other? It's like, why are you trying to make these distinctions and say you're okay because you kept one, but not the other? No, you break one guilty of them all. Verse 12, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Another term we're gonna unpack later. For judgment is without mercy to The one who has shown no mercy, mercy triumphs over judgment, saying, hey, because God has his expectations, these rules set upon us, you should speak and act as someone who's going to be held accountable, judged according to this law, according to these rules. For judgment is without mercy, the one who has shown no mercy, mercy triumphs over judgment. Say, hey, if you've been receiving God's mercy, you also will show mercy to those around you. You're not going to show partiality. You're not going to show favoritism. This right here is a quick summary of all of God's law, and we would be right to understand God's law and to live in accordance with it. And the summary given by James of what God's law is is summarized by you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Shall love your neighbor as yourself. Saying, hey, if you want to be someone who keeps God's law, keeps his rules, are you keeping? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You keeping that rule? Are you following that command? Has anyone kept that rule? It's like, okay, yeah, yeah, sometimes. Well, has anyone kept that rule perfectly? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, every time, I love my neighbor as, as myself. Mm, sometimes, but I mean, every time. No, you don't. We're not able to keep God's rules. It's not possible for any of us as humans to say, yeah, I perfectly keep God's law we need to realize that. Point number one, you need to realize your inability to keep God's law. Realize your inability, which means you're not able to keep God's law, his rules, his commandments. Let's think about God's laws. He talks about in verse eight, "You shall fulfill or keep the royal law. I mean, when you think of God's law, think of the commandments that God has given. You think back to the Old Testament. What what maybe comes to mind? the ten commandments. commandments. there you go. One of you got it, great. Ten commandments. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to the Ten Commandments back in the book of Exodus. I want us to look at these commandments, Exodus chapter 20, some of these commands that God has given. This is the start of God giving His rules to His people. So nation of Israel were God's special people, and he said, hey, you're supposed to live and function a certain way according to the parameters that I've instructed for you. The start of God's law, these 10 commandments, which you even think about that, like commandment, command is right in there. Hey, 10 commands I'm gonna give to you that I want you to keep, all right? Ready? Ready to keep them. 10 commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse one says, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He starts right there saying, Hey, remember who I am? Remember who I am? I'm God. I'm the Lord. You guys were in slavery. You know what I did? I set you free. I got you out of there. You're welcome. Uh, And because I'm your God, you need to listen to me. The one who created you, the one who set you free. These are some commandments that I'm going to give to you. Then you see a bunch of them listed. No other gods before me. Verse 4, you shall not make for yourselves a carved image. Verse seven, not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Verse eight, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Verse 12, honor your father and mother. Verse 13, shall not murder. 14, shall not commit adultery. 15, shall not steal. 16, shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. 17, covet. These commandments given, hey, this is what I want you guys to do. It's the expectation set up by God. Well, these weren't the only commandments given by God. I mean, you could just flip to the write in your Bibles. I mean, look at verse twenty-two. There's a header above there. It says laws about altars. It's like, okay, here are some rules that I'm going to give you about altars. Okay, turn over to chapter twenty-one. The header there: laws about slaves. All right, here's a bunch of regulations about that. In the Middle of uh, chapter twenty-one: laws about restitution. Middle of chapter twenty-two: laws about social justice. Middle of chapter twenty-three: laws about Sabbath and festivals. All these commandments given and given again. Then you can turn even more to Leviticus. Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 1. Guess what we see more? Laws for burnt offerings. Leviticus chapter 2. Laws for grain offerings. Leviticus chapter 3. Laws for peace offerings. Chapter 4. Laws for sin offerings. All these laws and laws and laws and laws. Chapter five, laws for guilt offerings. All these rules and regulations you see in Exodus, you see Leviticus, all these very specific regulations set up, even in, not so much in Numbers, um, it's more of a story, but in Deuteronomy, you see that as well. All these regulations given by God to his people, all these very specific things about like what not to eat and what to eat, who to marry, who not to marry. Um, if uh, you get some sort of sickness, how you're supposed to respond to this. All these commandments given to them. Now, let's think about it. Why did God give them these rules? Why did God give them these laws? Oh, because God just doesn't want them to do any fun things. God hates them. He wants them to be, uh, felt constricted by these commandments. No, there's a a couple reasons why he gave these commandments. One of the reasons is to, to show the holiness of God, holiness of God. God is holy. He's perfect. He's without sin, and likewise, he wanted his people to be distinct, to be set apart. These rules, he wanted them to do the right thing, because guess what? God is the one who ultimately does all things that are right, all things that are good. One of the reasons why he gave him these commandments is to show his holiness. Another reason why he gave these commandments was so that Israel, it comes as a branch uh, off of the holiness of God, so that Israel was to be holy or set apart from these other nations. So the nations surrounding them, all the ones that end in ites, Perizzites, Ammonites, Sib- uh, you, know, you know, all those, the uh, ites, ites um, say, hey, Israel, you're supposed to be different. You're supposed to be set apart. You're special. My special people don't act like the rest of these other nations. you are supposed to be holy. Now, it gives them all these regulations, and guess what? It's kind of hard to keep all these rules, right? It'd be kind of hard if... You're looking through these to keep every single command that was given in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. It would be a tough thing to do. It was hard for them to do. I mean, you guys know in Cozy, I don't know if you knew, but before he became a Christian, he interacted with the Bible and he saw these rules in the Old Testament and he was like, oh man. I better keep all these rules, <laughs> and he tried to keep all these. It was like, oh, I'm not supposed to eat shellfish. Okay, I guess I'm not supposed to eat shellfish. He, you can ask him about it, and guess what? He realized pretty quickly when trying to look at Exodus and Leviticus, he realized pretty quickly, like, I, I can't do this. <laughs> like, really? Oh, man, I can't wear this certain clothing because it's got interwoven different thread. Like, all right, well, I mean, God said it, so I, I can't keep it. He realized that pretty quickly. Well, one of the reasons... Why God gave this law is to reveal the sinfulness of man, show our own sin, show our own inability to keep his commandments. Why did God give us his law, his rules, show his holiness, to make his people holy? But guess what? Could they be perfectly holy? No, they sinned all the time. They broke his rules all the time. Romans 3 verse 10 says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Even in of the section of Romans 3, talking about the law and sin, saying, hey, we're not made right with God by the law. Romans 3.20 says, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified or made right in his sight. Why? Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Saying, hey, because you have the law, guess what now you're more aware of? Breaking God's law. You know, because if you didn't know his commandments, you could kind of say, oh, well, I didn't know that doing this was wrong. But now that we have his commandments, guess what we're more aware of? Our sin, our wrongdoing. Because you do something and you say, hey, I know it's wrong, because guess what? In the law, it says not to do it. It's a wrong action. But also part of why God gave us the law is to to show that forgiveness is available. Um, In the Old Testament, that forgiveness... And that atonement, that covering, was through the sacrificial system, um, through these different offerings that they would have to give place uh, to, to do. If they did something wrong, hey, you got to bring sometimes uh, a lamb or these different animals to be sacrificed for your sin to be covered. These wrong things you do to, to, be, to be covered. But that wasn't something that was to exist forever. It points forward to this future fulfillment of forgiveness that's available, as we know, in the person of Christ. There's a, a lot of commands given in the Old Testament, one of the huge things, the crux that I want to focus on why it was given was to show that we're sinful. Part of the reason it gave us the law is to show, hey, you know this thing, this, this God's rules? You can't keep it. You can't keep his commandments. It's not possible for someone to perfectly keep God's rules. Oh, well, you don't know me, Nathan. I'm perfect. <laughs> I don't think any of us in the room are claiming perfection. If so, talk to me afterwards. Um... Or if you say you're perfect, you're lying. So there you go, you sinned. Um, I don't think anyone's making that claim that we're perfect. But maybe you think, well, Nathan, that's the Old Testament law. I've grown up at Compass Bible Church long enough. I know we don't have to keep this Old Testament law. I don't have to do these sacrifices. It's okay for me to eat shellfish and these other foods. And uh, I don't need to keep it anymore. So I'm able to keep God's new commands. I'm able to keep his new rules. Well, are you? Matthew 22, verses 35 and following, Jesus sums up the entire Old Testament law. Verse 35, it says, in one of them, a lawyer asked him a question to test him. So it's kind of interesting if you think of a lawyer. A lawyer comes to test Jesus. A lawyer should know what well? Know the law. Yeah, a lawyer, got to know the law well. Comes up to Jesus, ah, yeah, I know the law pretty well. Ah, right, Jesus, I got a good question for you. You know this. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? it's the most important. Verse 37, you know this. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Which once again, it's not trying to divide up heart, soul, and mind. It's saying with all that you are, love God. This is, if I was to summarize the entire Old Testament, the Old Testament law, love the Lord your God with all your heart. This is the great and first commandment. Verse 39, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Saying, hey, you you want me to take this section of your Bible, the Genesis through Malachi, summarize it for you, the law and the prophets? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now you might say, oh, well, I know I don't have to keep the Old Testament sacrificial law. Well, do you keep those? Have you kept that perfectly? How have you done today about loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind? Doubt we've done it perfectly. Love your neighbor as yourself. You done that perfectly today? No. Not able to keep His rules. No one is able to keep it. Not possible. Romans three twenty three. For all have sinned, and you know it. Fall short of the what? Glory of God. all sinned. Not able to keep His rules. It's a high bar set. It's pretty easy for us, I think, to admit that, yeah, I've sinned, I've broken God's law. But what might be harder for us to admit is, write this down for point number two, you need to admit you are a guilty lawbreaker. Admit you are a guilty lawbreaker. It's easy for us to say, oh yeah, I mean, I've I've done something wrong or done one thing wrong. Kind of like the The example's given in James. Oh, yeah, well, maybe i have show a little partiality. But are you willing to admit that you are a guilty lawbreaker? Oh, but Nathan, I haven't broken that many rules. I've done some things wrong, but not that bad of a lawbreaker. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. I don't think there's necessarily a ton of us in the room that... Would say, I haven't broken that many rules. I hope we're honest enough with ourselves, everyone with leaders, myself, like all, all of us, to admit, man, I've broken a ton of God's rules. Yeah, not something we should be proud of, but I think it's something we should be willing to admit. But if you're someone who says, oh, I don't really, I haven't really broken God's rules, look at Matthew chapter 5, drop down to verse 17. See how God or Jesus. God in flesh, talks about the law. Verse 17, Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Hey, that Old Testament, I haven't come to get rid of it. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Hey, he came to keep it perfectly. Jesus, fulfill it perfectly without sin. Did he do that? Yes, he did. Verse 18, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until... All is accomplished. It's saying, hey, everything that takes place in the law it's going to be accomplished. Well, what is it ultimately accomplished through it? Through Christ. It's all going to take place. Verse 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. It's saying, hey, if you look at one of God's commandments and say, oh, this one's not really that important, oh, it's, it, it's not that big of a deal if I break this one about maybe lying. Ah, whatever, and you tell others to do the same too, be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 20, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Saying, hey, Pharisees and scribes, those were the religious leaders, smart, intelligent, godly people of the day. Hey, if you're righteousness your good behavior it's got to be better than them to get into heaven got to be better how can we do that you, you want to know how hard it is to keep god's rules look down over keep reading you see the header anger it says you have heard that it was said to those of old you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judge, judgment they say oh yeah the old testament hey i mean i didn't murder someone so i mean i've kept god's law But I say to you, he says in verse 22, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. See, Jesus didn't come and say, get rid of this Old Testament law. He's saying, you need to see how serious and how even broad this law is. You think you're good because you didn't murder? Well, have you been angry with someone? That's murder in your heart. And guess what? You're breaking God's law, you're a lawbreaker. Oh, yeah, you think you don't have much sin? Who's been angry in the room? All, all of us? There you go. That's a sin for us. Verse 27. Next, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. A lot of people would say, oh, great. Yeah, great. I haven't done that. I've kept God's law. But I say, that, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Saying, oh, yeah, I kept God's rule? You lusted after someone? Another sin. Mark that down. Broken God's law. Guys, girls, girls, guys. you Lusted. Breaking God's law. Gives an example of divorce. Don't think that maybe applies to us. Oaths. Verse 33. Again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely. Verse 34. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head about not swearing, not swearing falsely. Well, if you've done that, put a mark. Retaliation. Verses 38 through 42 talk about that. Have you ever retaliated against someone? Uh, maybe. Verse 43. Heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Well, have you kept that? Not? Another mark. I mean, there's just a couple examples given of, wow, these are God's rules set, and they go a lot bigger than what we think. And you think, hey, I haven't broken that many rules. I haven't really broken God's law. I mean, I think quickly, if we just start going through his rules, say, man, I've broken a lot, a ton of them. Okay, Nathan, I admit it. I've done some sins. You might be thinking, oh, yeah, I've I, I broken his, his law, but I mean, I shouldn't be guilty for all of it, really? All of it? Maybe I should just be guilty for the, the, the wrongdoing, just, just those sins that I've done. James 2.10, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Saying, stop trying to divide up God's law. Say, oh, these ones are the more important ones to keep. Or I can only be half guilty because I haven't broken them fully. No, you violated one command, and guess what? One violation of God's law is one violation against God. Because really, if you think about it, sin is not just breaking some rule code. Sin is an affront to God, to Him. Don't minimize your sin. You need to admit you are completely guilty and worthy of condemnation by God. For your wrongdoing. We should all admit that because of our sin, because of my sin, I'm a guilty lawbreaker. Oh, well, I've kept all these other ones. No, guilty. doesn't matter that you might have kept some of them. It's like, I feel like I've given an analogy similar to this before, but like you're making a cake. And you might say, okay, I'm making this cake. I wanna make it look all pretty and all, all nice. And guess what? I'm keeping all the, the steps of ingredients to add and all the, the steps on the recipe. I'm keeping them all, except for one. I, the one I, one I added was adding a drop of poison. <laughs> oh, but I kept all the other ingredients. Well, is it a is it, is it good cake? You want some? But I kept them all. I kept, just, just one mistake. No, the entire cake is ruined, because that, that one one addition of poison, a one wrongdoing, complete affront to God. I've heard it illustrated this way: if, um, I'm making for you an omelet, making it, making it, uh, adding ingredients. You know, chopping up the peppers, tomatoes, throwing that in there, cracking the eggs, um, and you, using all these good eggs. But the last one, I pull out, and, and it, it's a rancid egg. It like it's got that smell to it. It's like almost like at this time like formed into like the embryo of a chicken. It's like gross and I like like oh got that smell and I was oh whatever. It's the last one. Crack it in. Wake it up. All right. Here you go. Bone up Gross. Wouldn't want it. See, one bad egg ruins the whole bunch. So, too, one of our sins makes us completely guilty before God. If we're being honest with ourselves, which I hope we are, it's not just one sin that we've done. (laughs) It's not just, "Oh, oh, wow, okay, wow, because of my one sin. I mean, we've broken God's law right and left. Well, Nathan, others are worse than me. Stop comparing yourself to other people. It's like the car thief Saying, oh man, that armed robber guy is really bad. <laughs> what? <laughs> Why are you comparing with that? Oftentimes we like to compare ourselves with other people because if we're being honest with ourselves, we feel that guilt inside of us. We say, Oh, well, that person's worse, because you're really trying to cover and mask that that guilt, that ping on your conscience of man, what I did was wrong. You felt guilty before? We know we're guilty. Our consciences tell us that we're guilty. You've ever had feelings of like anguish, despair, shame, disgrace for your sin? Do something wrong? You experienced that before? That's guilt that you're feeling. Matthew chapter 27, Judas, after he gives Jesus over, gives him over, he, he feels the guilt and I mean, he should have done something good with the guilt, but what he does with the guilt, he goes and hangs himself because he feels so bad about what he's done. That's how bad that guilt just weighed on him. He responded, not how he should have, but he felt that guilt. You ever felt fear or or terror because of your sin or afraid? Oh man, am I going to, if I go to sleep tonight, I know I'm not right with God. If I don't wake up in the morning, I'm afraid to to go to hell because man, I'm a sinner, I'm wrong. I mean, in Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah sees a vision of the Lord, he sees the holiness of God. You know what he says? Woe is me. I'm a sinner. He feels that terror, that anguish before God. Unworthiness. You ever have a feeling that you're not worthy? Luke 15, 21, the parable of um, uh, the son who goes and squanders all of his wealth, uh, goes reckless living, returns back, says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. It's that understanding of not worthy. I-, I feel the weight of my sin. It's on my heart. It's on my mind. It's in my conscience. Well, 2 Corinthians 7.10 talks about this thing called godly grief, which comes right by this idea of guilt, godly grief, worldly grief is this, oh man, I feel really bad and I'm going to cry about my sin, but guess what? Tomorrow I'm going to wake up and, and forget that it ever happened. What godly grief does, this recognition of, man, I am a sinner. I feel bad for the sin that I'm doing. It's weighing on me. You know what that's supposed to lead you to? Second Corinthians 7.10, repentance. Crying out to God, forgive me for my sin. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Forgive me. Have you done that? Have you repented? Turn to Psalm chapter 51. This is what it looks like to have a, a prayer of repentance. This is what David prays after he sins heinous sin with Bathsheba. This is what he prays to God. This is what a prayer of repentance looks like. Have you repented? Ask God for forgiveness for your sins. Psalm 51, David says this, "'Have mercy on me, O God, "'according to your steadfast love. "'According to your abundant mercy, "'blot out my transgressions. "'Cover those sins. "'Wipe them away.'" Verse 2, "'Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity.'" Cleanse me from my sin, for God I know my, my transgressions and my sin. It's ever before you, against you. You only have I sinned, God, and have done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity; I was born into sin and sinned did my mother conceived me. Verse seven. Drop down. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Look at verse 10. It says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. What a great song. You should read through that this this week. Read through the entire thing. Have you prayed that to God? That God, against you, you only have I sinned. Yeah, I know I've sinned against other people, but ultimately all those sins, it's against you. Please blot out my transgressions. Forgive me. Create in me a clean heart. Stop pushing it off. Stop acting like you're good enough. You need to repent of your sins. Proverbs twenty eight thirteen says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper conceals whoever hides your sin you want to hide your sin act like it doesn't exist act like it it's not real act like it's no big deal not going to prosper but he who confesses confess your sin and forsakes them that's the idea of repentance I'm done. you know what you're gonna obtain? Mercy you confess your sin that's part of repentance confess admitting to God that you are a sinner needing to be saved. you confess, forsake your sin, you're going to receive mercy. What is mercy? It's God's compassion on us. Not giving us what we deserve. What do we deserve? Forever separation from him, from the goodness of him, forever punishment in in hell. But if we repent of our sins, he will give us mercy. He will not give us that judgment that we deserve. Give us life given mercy, given grace, the good thing that we don't deserve, which is heaven, all through Christ. If you haven't done that, you need to do that. You need to repent. Experience God's mercy. Because if you have, guess what? Your life changes. You're going to have a heart transformation. And beyond that, your relationship to God's law, His rules, is different. This is really what James chapter two, chapter 2 tries to accentuate. James chapter 2 tries to make clear that, hey, before you're right with God, all of his laws condemn you. They show you that you're a sinner and what you're worthy of. But rather, when you repent of your sin, those laws no longer become like a, oh, a chore. I've got to do God's law. i got to keep his rules. I've got to keep his commands. Because, hey, you don't have to keep the laws of the Old Testament, but the New Testament command, like, is. They don't they're not a burden. Rather, what verse 12 of James 3 describes the law is a law of liberty. Look at James 3:12. It says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Law of liberty. Liberty. It's the idea of freedom. We just talked about how the law is putting all these burdens and all these restrictions, what you can and can't do. How can it be a law of liberty, a law of freedom? Guess what? If you've repented of your sins, put your trust in Christ, his commandments no longer are burdensome. They're not a chore that you have to do, but now it goes from a duty, oh, I've got to keep these rules, which you can't do anyways, to now it's, man, I've got an opportunity. I'm joyfully, I get to serve my God, serve the king by doing what he asks of me. No longer becomes a law of drudgery, but a law of liberty, one of excitement, And he's saying to these believers, James is, if you've experienced that, you should speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law. Once you're made right with God, guess what? Your judgment that's coming isn't a judgment of, oh, heaven or hell. Did you keep God's law so uh, so that, oh man, you're judged by your uh, keeping of God's law, going to heaven or hell. No, it's a matter of rewards. Hey, guess what? It's a law of liberty. It's an enjoyment to keep God's law. guess what, they're going to build up rewards in heaven by keeping his commandments. Saying, as a result of that, speak and act in accordance with God's rules. Live it out. Verse 13, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Saying, hey, are you not showing mercy to other people? Which, Which What was mercy again? Giving us what we don't deserve. Are you being kind to others even when they don't deserve it? Are you showing mercy to others? If you are, you know what that shows? You've received God's mercy. You've you've experienced that. If you're not, you're you're condemning yourself because it shows that you you, you haven't. But rather, you need to keep God's commandments, not out of drudgery if you're right with God, but man, God has shown his mercy to me. You know what I want to do? Love others as I love myself. Point number three, very simple. Love because God loved you. See, our love towards others flows from us experiencing God's love to us. John 13, 34 says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. There's kind of some irony in there. Hey, I give you a new commandment. Are you ready for this new, the secret commandment? Love one another. It's like, really? A new commandment? Uh, not, Not really that new. Saying, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Well, how did Jesus love us? Dying on the cross? Being the payment for our sins? His sacrificial, selfless concern for you and I. That's how he showed his love. So just as he showed his love for us, we also are to show our love towards others. But others bother me. Others are annoying. I don't like other people. Oh, that person, they're weird. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. Oh, we know that. Yeah, we love other people because he first loved us. How about this? Verse 20, it says, if anyone says, I love God. Hey, you're someone who says you love God. If you say, I love God and hates his brother, He is a liar. You say, hey, you love God and you hate your brother, you know what you are? You're a liar. You're a liar. Why? For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. If you don't love other people, not the hardy, uh, hardy eyes, uh, or got a crash on. Uh, not that type of love. A selfless concern for the well-being of other people. If you don't have that, how can you say that you really love God? It's not me saying. That's what First John four says. When saying to your face, you would say you are a liar if you say that. But if. You have experienced God's love to you. If you have responded rightly, repenting, put your trust in Christ, received God's mercy, you know what you're gonna do? You're gonna love your brother. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. You ought to love other people. Give of yourself to others. Do you hate other people? Do you hold grudges towards other people? You get frustrated easily with other people? Or do you care for your family, friends, church people? If you've experienced something so great in God's love, stop turning back to this old way of hatred, he's basically saying. If you've experienced God's love, James is writing, don't show partiality. That's not loving others. Don't go back to this old way that you used to live. you've experienced this great thing, don't go back to this way lesser bad thing. Start this good thing, loving others. Like, reminds me of when, um, I do this every now and then, but I go and get some Korean barbecue, and when I ever gotten some Korean barbecue, oh, if not, you are missing out. Um, go to get some Korean barbecue, you know, you gotta get the crew together, like, six people around the table, and you're just, like, chowing down, if you've never been, like, on meat, and it's, like, you've got, like, two or three hours to, like, as much meat as you can eat, you get. So good. Like, so glorious. It's like the marriage supper of the lamb someday. It's like, like, oh man, you're eating all this meat and you're like taking it in. It's like, I mean, just picture that. Nathan just on in, uh, taking a break from my diet. I know, don't uh, offend here. Uh, like, took a break, ate a bunch of stuff. Now imagine we just ate all that luxurious, amazing, great Korean barbecue meat. And then afterwards... We're just hanging out after with my friend, and my buddy says, you know what I really feel like having? Like a turkey sandwich. <laughs> like, be like, dude, really? Yeah, just like that turkey from, like, Stater Brothers. Just, like, really craving that right now. <laughs> like, dude, what are you? Are you crazy, man? Like, you can just experience the goodness and the amazingness of this Korean barbecue meat. Bulgogi and, ah, oh, the, the, the steaks and, like, you want some turkey from the grocery store? How could you go back to this other thing when you've experienced something so great? That's the idea of how can we as believers go back to having this animosity divisions and hatred towards others when we've experienced God's love? How could we want to go back to that bad thing? We shouldn't. We want to go to the good thing. You know the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew chapter 18 where the servant owes his master a lot of money. And the master says, I forgive you. And then that person who was forgiven a lot, someone owes him not as much, uh, only a little bit. And he pounds him down, says, Ah, pay up, pay, pay me. It's like, dude, you've been forgiven so much, You're not willing to forgive someone so little. Part of loving others is willing to show forgiveness, willing to forgive others. When others wrong you, do you hold grudges? Or do you still love them, care for them, do kind things to them? If you've been forgiven much, you're going to be willing to forgive lesser. I don't want to say little because in our minds it feels big, but in the grand scheme of things, wrongs that are way less than how we sin against God. Ultimately, if you're a believer, you're going to stand before the Lord one day. You're not going to be judged at the great white throne judgment where uh, the unbelievers get cast into the lake of fire, but you are going to stand before the Lord and give an account for how obedient you were to him, not on the matter of whether you go to heaven or hell, but how many heavenly rewards you're going to receive. That should be a motivation. That should be awesome. So, so speak and so act. So I'm going to think about my speech. I'm going to think about how I act as someone who is going to be judged under this law of liberty, this law that I delight in, this law that I can't wait to keep. So man, it's already a delight for me to keep his rules. Now also I'm going to get rewarded for it? Yeah, I'm going to be careful with what I say. I'm going to be careful for how I live. This final point, you need to love because God loved you. Specifically care for others, your friends, I mean, that's the easy one. <laughs> oh, yeah, I love my friends. I'll I'll, be not, I'll share my lunch with a friend for sure. Your siblings? Yeah. <laughs> Got to share stuff with them? I don't want to do that. Your parents? Oh, just tell me I'll do all my chores. I don't want to care. How about this? We talked about this last week. New people in the narrow. Now the conviction sits in, for those of you who didn't do that this week. Do you care about others? Care about that outsider, that new person? How can you say you love God, neglect others, and not care about others? Love because God loved you. We all know one of these people and they're known as the knife guys. you guys know the knife guys? It's the type of person you're just, um, you're going to, you're all going to know this. If you're ever like, oh man, I'm trying to open something. Does anyone have a knife? And then like the guys all come like, oh yeah, here, I've got, and like, it's like, oh, okay, you're the knife guy, I guess. Um, Like these, I never really got the knife guys. They're always just like, oh yeah, I always got to have like a knife on me. I was like, okay, I've got like my keys. It like kind of does the same thing. Um, Like I kind of, didn't get, and all these people pulling out knives, and now, like, some of the leaders are like, oh, I'm I'm in the knife, guy," so I feel, like, kind of attacked right now. Now, I was kind of, like, anti, like, okay, I don't like the knife, until um, I got gifted some knives. Um, Slowly been using them. Now I have one in my office, in my car, in my room, in my house, and okay, you're like, you got so many knives. Just, like, a a little knife to, like, open stuff. Um, But, like, I mean, when I first got the knife and I was like, oh, man, should I, like, open this pack? Like, how do I open my Amazon package? Like, it's kind of tough to pull off. And then I was like, huh, I got a knife. Then I, like, experienced it. I was like, oh, that was easy. And then now, like, you wouldn't realize how many uses you have just, like, out of the blue. Like, oh, man, I need to open something or this or that. Oh, I've got a knife. See, I went from, like, being so anti, like, I don't even get what the purpose of um, having this knife is to now, I mean, I use it all the time, whether in the car, my house, my office. Um, Yeah, you guys are looking at me weird about like, just (laughs) like, uh, uh. but like, it's completely different. So I used to think of it one way, but my um, different relationship with the knife before and with knives before in general than I have now. Now I love it. Now I'm like all for it. So um, get me a new knife and I will use it. Um, Like, I want you to see that before you become right with God, this thing called God's law can be confusing. You might not get it. What, what, is, what is the purpose of it? Why is it so significant? But once you've understood God's law, how it shows us our sin, there's a lot of things, but that's the only big thing, shows us our need for it. Once you've experienced God's mercy of forgiving you of your sin, guess what? Your relationship with God's law l- looks different. It's no longer one of, oh, I've got to keep these rules. It's rather than this law of treasury, it's a law of liberty. So live out God's law if you're right with God. Love because God loved you if you're not right with God. Love because God loved you if you're right with God. If you're not right with God, get right with God. Then we can talk about that moving forward. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you for your selfless sacrifice in sending Christ to die for our sins. We thank you for giving us your rules, your expectations that show us how guilty of a sinner we are, worthy of your judgment. But thank you as it says that you showed your mercy. You are rich in mercy and made a way for us to be saved. So help us to, if we haven't, respond rightly to the gospel message. And if we have, to, rather than see your commands as a list of chores, rather do them delightfully. And Even as we think of our relationship with others, help us to love others as you've loved us. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.